Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio and our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I'm Louis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. This week, EdSource released a poll that found voters overall and parents in particular give a big thumbs down to distance learning. And that's a problem because that's how most students are getting their education this fall, not only in California, but across the country. The big challenge, how to keep students interested and motivated while learning online. But parents don't blame Governor Newsom for closing schools, and they give him generally high marks for handling the pandemic. We'll talk about the results of the poll, which captured parents' frustration with their homes being essentially turned into classrooms. One person who expresses the feelings of a frazzled mom is author and illustrator Aubrey Hirsch of Berkeley. Her graphic diary or comic of life with distance learning was published by Vox. Here Aubrey reads a passage from her diary about a particularly frustrating day without pictures, of course. Friday. The dad of a student in my younger son's class is loudly having a conference call in the background of his Zoom meeting. So the teacher's voice keeps cutting in and out until she figures out how to mute the student's microphone from her end. Time? I have no concept of time. The PE teacher has put a password on the Zoom meeting and left it out of the email with the meeting link. After searching for it for 10 minutes, I give up. About once a week, I reach a breaking point in my frustration. What's being asked of parents right now is absolutely unsustainable, and every day it seems less likely that schools will reopen this academic year. We'll hear more from Audrey later. We'll also talk with a teacher from a charter school in San Jose about how he keeps his students engaged and motivated while learning remotely. So, Lewis, let's turn to the voter and parent survey that uh, EdSource released on Thursday. Just how dissatisfied are parents with distance learning? Well, John, they're pretty dissatisfied. Three quarters of parents said that uh, distance learning is not as good as in-classroom instruction. Perhaps uh, that's not a surprise. Most parents want kids to be in school with a live teacher. But uh, the fact is that that's not how kids are being educated right now. Well, do they point to any specific challenges that they're dealing with? Yeah, we asked parents what are the major challenges. And overwhelmingly, in fact, four out of five parents said that the biggest challenge was how to sustain their child's interests, how to keep kids motivated. So is anything going well? Do they say we like some aspect of distance learning? Well, not really. And this was what was quite disturbing. We asked parents, what are some of the strategies that they were using to try to make distance learning more effective? And almost half said they had no strategies. They were kind of at a loss. About a third of them said that they were turning to other family members to help out, to give them support. But beyond that, you know, a small number of parents did cite excellent teachers, But they really had to dig deep to find something positive about distance learning. And I should say, John, that this is, of course, a poll. And this obscures the fact that, you know, there are some good examples of distance learning going on. You really have to look at it district by district, school by school, and maybe classroom by classroom. But uh, this this gives us kind of an overview of the landscape in general. Lewis, did you find any differences among parents of different income or where they live or party affiliation? Well, definitely we found a difference based on income. Low-income parents also do cite the issue of lack of motivation and keeping kids interested, but they also pointed to unreliable internet access as a bigger problem than higher-income parents. And also they pointed to 
not enough instructional time with a teacher as a big problem. Nine out of 10 low-income parents cited that as a problem. And you could see that, you know, higher-income parents have more options. They can sign them up for these learning pods. They can get extra tutoring. They're more likely to be at home to help out. And so this really exposes the fact that it's low-income parents who are really the most dependent on public school supports. Well, one of the options that Wealthier Parents has been exploring is learning pods. Did we have any numbers to show about that? Yes, we asked them about that. And John, I have to say that a very small percentage of parents in general are doing that, about 15%. So that's about one in six parents said that they are exploring these learning pods. Another 15% said they were looking at getting outside tutoring. But it's definitely not something that's available to most parents or that most parents are even considering. So how deep does this dissatisfaction go? Are parents considering changing schools or even moving? Well, we asked parents about that, and we found that 75% of parents are saying, no, they're not considering changing where their kids are going to school. But 25% said, yes, they are considering looking into a private school, parochial school, or a charter school. We didn't break down those, so we don't know how many are thinking about charter schools, uh, which obviously is an easier option, seeing that those are also public schools. Well, that's only a snapshot in time, right? So it'd be interesting to see over the course of a year, because 25% change from district schools would be a lot. Huge, yeah. And we also asked parents, are they considering moving? And 22%, it was like a little over one in five parents said that they were considering moving. Now, whether they would actually do it is another question. John, I should point out that we did this poll just as schools were getting underway. And a lot of parents' views on distance learning was really shaped by the experience last spring, which really did not go well. That got really low ratings. And school districts, by their own admission, most of them were really not prepared. And they have spent a lot of time now preparing for this year, and it should be better. So I think one of the things we have to look at is over time, will these ratings change? Will parents adapt? Will students adapt? And will teachers adapt and, and, and kind of get better at this over time? Well, okay. So what do you think can be done? Does, does this poll indicate anything in a way of an improvement? Well, I think it does point to trying to have more direct we call it synchronous learning, you know, more direct time with the teachers. That's been a tough issue, you know, how, how to balance that. I think it also points to the fact that parents really need to be in closer touch with the teacher. I mean, we can't really expect parents to be teachers. It's not that easy to do. And I think parents are going to feel discouraged if they try to take that on. So I think it's really going to require parents to let teachers know if their kids are losing interest and are not motivated. And also to figure out activities that are not educationally related, you know, activities outside the home that could support the distance learning. Well, Lewis, as you say, it's just one glimpse so in, in time, and so we'll have to see what happens over the course of a year, see if these feelings change or see if parents become more satisfied with their education, their kids are getting at home or maybe, perhaps, back in school. So for the full results of the poll, you can check out EdSource and we'll include some links to the poll results in this week's podcast page.
If you're a parent feeling overwhelmed by distance learning, you'll find that you're not alone in a graphic diary that author and illustrator Aubrey Hirsch of Berkeley created for Vox. It's called The Hell That Is Remote Learning, explained in a comic, and it tracks a single week in the life of a parent of two kids learning remotely. She and her husband have two sons, a kindergartner and second grader. They live in Berkeley. We have the author with us today. So, Aubrey, we really enjoyed your one week in the life of a frazzled mother with kids at school. And could you read a, a segment of it, if you will? And I really enjoyed Tuesday. Perhaps you could read what happened on Tuesday in your life. Tuesday, 9.15 a.m., already late. My older son's schedule has gone to his Google Drive instead of mine, where it usually appears. So I have no idea when math talk is or how to find the link. At 10 a.m., I still don't have an answer from his teacher, so I have to swallow my pride and text the mom's group from my son's class last year and hope that one of those kids is in his class again this year. Then I accidentally break the internet for the rest of the day while trying to install a Wi-Fi signal booster. So I guess school's out for today. All this time, I'm trying to do my own work in short bursts, fold laundry, answer emails, wash dishes, prepare meals, and try to somehow keep three different schedules in my brain. And the three different schedules are yours and? Mine and my second graders and my kindergartners. Well, that was really quite a week. Is that a typical week for you, uh, Aubrey? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it, some days are easier than others, but in general, I think the challenges are have been pretty persistent over these last six weeks. So what gave you the idea of doing this? Actually, my editor at Vox, who I made the comic for, had reached out to me. I'd been complaining a bit on Twitter about what distance learning was like and how it was going in our family. And she sent me an email because I've made comics for them before to say, oh, would you like to do a, a comic about that for us? And I said, I absolutely would. <laughs> What's been the response that you've gotten from readers and neighbors? The response has been great. It's been really big. A lot of people have read it and shared it. And I've just gotten a lot of messages from people saying like, thank you, I feel really seen by this. I, it felt good to see that other people are going through the same thing that I'm going through. I heard, of course, from a lot of people who are parents of remote learners, but also from a lot of people who don't have kids, especially people who are in like management positions at work. I had a few people reach out to me to say, that it was really helpful for them to kind of understand what these members of their staff were going through and just kind of increase empathy. Well, do they say, yes, but Aubrey, you're the lucky one. You get to stay home with your kids and think of all the kids who are just trying to work all this out on their own. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I recognize that there's not really a good answer here. <laughs> I don't think anyone is in a great position. I know parents who are living in places where schools are open, that's a scary thing and, and it feels dangerous. Yeah, a lot of kids don't have access to a parent or good internet, or they might have parents that don't speak English well. They might have parents who don't have a complete elementary school education who are trying to help them with their work. I think it's just a, a nightmare for everybody in, in a different way. During this week that you've graphically illustrated, was there anything that kind of worked for you? We had one win toward the end of the week. And ironically, it was when we had stepped away from the computers for a little while. So I'll read the end of the week. This is Friday. I just keep trying to remind myself that the kids will learn with or without attending their scheduled Zoom meetings and that we are all surviving something big. 
It's okay to be gentle with ourselves. I take the kids for a walk and they find a raw red onion on the street and play with it for a full 18 minutes while I answer emails on my phone. 8.50 p.m. I vent about my day on Twitter and it's both awful and helpful to see so many parents chime in with a common refrain. This is not okay. This is the best we can do for now and we just have to hope it is enough. I love that line about the red onion. It was sad. I mean, it was, it was very poignant because here we are the first time the kids can go outside and what captures their attention but a raw onion on the street. It's just a reminder of so much is being lost by being cooped up in a house and the real world is out there. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It was an interesting win that came from an unexpected place. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We've been uh, talking with Aubrey Hirsch writer and illustrator and parent and really encourage all of you to take a look at this on Vox. And I'm sure that many of you will be able to identify with your experiences. And hopefully uh, we'll all get better at this, right? Over the next few months. (laughs) We're going to get a lot of practice. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Aubrey Hirsch. Thank you. So to get the perspective of a teacher, we have Genzel Tolentino on the line. He's a third grade humanities teacher at Rocketship Fuerza. It's an elementary charter school in San Jose. Genzel also helps out instructing other teachers in social emotional learning techniques and is looked upon within the school as kind of an expert in distance learning. Thanks for joining us today, Genzel. Thank you, John, for having me. really appreciate um, this opportunity to talk about um, distance learning. So one of the findings in the EdSource poll, which we've been talking about today, is that parents agree it's been really difficult to keep students engaged with distance learning and motivation is a problem. So tell us, you deal with third graders, which is a challenge. How do you keep your students engaged? What are the techniques you use every day? Yeah, definitely is a challenge and it it can be really hard sometimes to keep students engaged. But one huge way that works is celebrating these kids, our Rocketeers, every single day for the accomplishments that they do. So I have like on my phone, the class roster, and I give out points for students for showing up, for being here, for participating. And every time a little ding goes off, they kind of smile, they celebrate, they do a little dance. Um... So anything that I can do to celebrate their accomplishments and the things that they're doing at home, I make sure I try to do that for them. So how many hours a day actually are you online with your students? So I'm online with them from 8 a.m. to 11.30 a.m., so about three and a half hours. Wow, that sounds like quite a lot of time to hold the attention of third graders. How is that going? It's definitely a challenge, but we also make sure that we give them breaks. So in between each lesson that I teach and then when they transition into STEM and humanities, we make sure to give them like five minute breaks, 10 minute breaks, go grab water, go use the restroom, grab a snack, go move around. Every now and then I'll ask them if they want to do a dance break with me instead of doing their own break. More often than not, they do want to do like a little dance break, something fun together to get them ready for the next block. You're in East San Jose, and that's sort of one of the hotspots it has been for, for COVID. So how do you read what's going on in their lives and what's going on at home? It's really difficult because a lot of our Rocketeers have parents and family members that they are with that are essential workers. So they tend to be at babysitters, daycares, or with other Rocketeers who are in the same situation. So 
a lot of the times using that to an advantage, right? They're with other students that are doing the same thing, having them hold each other accountable to like work on their independent work or, you know, not looking at as a disadvantage that, you know, their parents have to be at work right now. What can I do to best support them in their situations? We're talking with Genzel Tolentino. He's a third grade teacher at Rocketship Charter School in San Jose. In terms of kids working on their own, I imagine that the role of the parent then becomes more important when you are not around. So what are you doing in terms of working with parents? It's been really difficult, but at the same time, really beautiful because we've seen parent engagement shoot up more than ever since distance learning. Parents are more engaged. They want to know what's going on in their students' lives, how they can help, what they can do. And we actually have time in our schedule built out to meet with students who didn't complete work or maybe didn't participate in work and how we can best support them. So communication has been through the roof with our parents, making sure like, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what they need to get done. And this is exactly how you do it. It honestly has been beautiful to see these parents so invested in their kids' education. What have you learned? What technique do you do now that you've learned? What has worked or hasn't worked from March? From March, I learned that, you know, we need to mimic as best as we can what the interaction would be in person. So I use this application for Google Slides called Pear Deck. And just to clarify, that's Google Pear Deck as in P-E-A-R. Pear Deck, yeah. And it's like the closest thing that I can have to real-time interaction with the kids because... In class, they're obviously they're writing. And in Pear Deck, I can see them real time typing. So I can give them in the moment feedback and I can pause them and we can have a conversation. Pear Deck is a great way for them to stay engaged. One of the things that was cited on our poll, and this was particularly the case with low income students and parents, was unreliable internet access. To what extent has that been a problem? There have been days where our Rocketeers just drop out of the Zoom call because of internet access or, you know, they can't complete their work because of internet access for the day. It's very real. There are days where some of our students can't access and can't do the work. But the huge thing is the communication part with parents, them following up with us, us following up with them to ensure like, hey, what's going on? That has been pretty strong. They are really quick to text us, hey, I'm so sorry, our uh, so-and-so is not on Zoom because our internet just dropped. I'm like, hey, no worries. Whenever it gets back on, have them connect back on. Or if not, like, let's connect later to see what they missed and what we can work on. So it sounds like you're doing a really good job keeping in touch with your families and getting your kids engaged. But if this continued through the winter into the spring, how far behind do you think your students would be compared with what they would be if they were in school in a classroom? And how do you make that up? Yes, it's not the same as in-person learning, and there are some deficits and things that we can't just do like we normally in person. But we are able to like assess our students, like we are assessing the reading levels. And more often than not, a lot of my Rocketeers from last year, I'm seeing that they grew reading levels, and a lot of them have been growing. And it's really, really beautiful to see. One huge way that we're going to continue making sure that they grow is holding small group instruction in the afternoons, which we have piloted the end of September. So we're starting that up right now, which is through guided reading. And like, they're really excited for it. And I am too. 
Well, we've been speaking with Genzo Tolentino. He's a third grade humanities teacher at Rocketship Fuerza in San Jose. We've enjoyed speaking with you. Thanks for telling us what works and giving us some hope as to distance learning. Thank you so much for your guys' time. Appreciate it. I'm glad we were able to interview Genzo because uh, great to have a positive perspective and an indication that things can be done, that distance learning is not necessarily all bad. And it will really be up to teachers working closely with parents and students to make all of this work. And on that note, that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Our producer is Kobe MacDonald. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and Ed Source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Stay well. And be safe. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you.